are here for a reason. Breaking down the brotherhood, one prayer at a time. Right on, right on, right on. <laughs> right on radio. For continuous coverage, the latest information, separate fact from opinion. Get the truth. Get the news. You're listening to Right On Radio. You are here for a reason. And I'm thankful for every one of you who are here. My name is Jeff. Welcome to Right On Radio. We're going to be starting a mini series entitled The Synagogue of Satan. And, you know, I had always kind of known of the term because, you know, when I became a Christian at first, I read through the Bible and also, you know, really spent some time in Revelation. But this last time, uh, while doing this podcast, doing the study of the book of Revelation, I really picked up on the synagogue of Satan and how uh, important it is, I guess, uh, in God's word and important for us to understand. Now, I'm going to, we're going to be starting a mini series here. And, you know, I'm going to be doing some of it with Cisco Wheeler. In fact, I'm going to be featuring her here today, even in this broadcast. Uh, However, I just want to point out and maybe give away uh, some of my thoughts right at the very beginning of this series, and you can decide for yourself. So there's a couple of reasons why I'm doing it. First of all, it is my opinion, not conclusion. I have not 100% concluded on this, but it is my opinion that the synagogue of Satan is the head of the snake. And this would make sense for a few reasons. First of all, he is an imitator. Uh, Jesus, you know, apparently uh, came out of Israel. He's the king of the Jews, as so they say. And, you know, that is uh, the belief that is going on right now. And I'm not disputing that. Uh, however, Satan will come as an imitator. And there's a reason why Jesus specifically points out the synagogue of Satan's. And I, and I truly believe it's the Pharisees and that that are going to usher him in, you know, the Jewish people saying our God has finally arrived and we're God's people and all this stuff, but he'll, but the person who will rise will bring all the religions together and you know, all that sort of thing. And I'm not going to get into too much detail in that. Uh, but what we're going to expose, and and I found some information. In fact, it's a it's a video that I'm going to be playing uh, in about a week's time. That I think, <laughs> uh, well, you know what? I, I confirm a lot of it. May may I have confirmed every bit of it. Uh, however, if true, and you will be the judge, it is possibly one of the greatest lies to all of humankind, and has been a lie for thousands of years and it will set up the end times. And I believe that the Bible exposes it. And so I want to present that information to you, but the lie, uh, and and by the way, the video is going to be shocking, but the lie goes much further. Um, In our first part of this series, we're going to talk about 
the Catholics. Now, what do the Catholics have to do with the synagogue of Satan? Well, we're going to explore that. And uh, Cisco Wheeler is going to be my guest for part two. But for part one, uh, with her permission, I'm going to be reading to you chapter 15 of her book, Behold a White Horse. By the way, just look how thick this book is, folks. Like, this is a massive massive book and it's not an easy read as you will see in a moment but it is rich in detail and very well thought out now you may not agree with everything in this and i'm going to reserve my judgment on everything in this but i do know as she's a published author and many of you respect her point of view as i do on uh, on a lot of things and so as a foundational video uh, to set up the interview with Cisco, which is coming up right after this, uh, I'm going to read chapter 15 of her book. And it's not too long, uh, but it is, uh, I ask for forgiveness and prayer as I begin this. By the way, I did pray right before uh, hitting record, as I always do. So this is from Behold a White Horse by Cisco Wheeler, available uh, online. You can certainly order it, and I encourage you to do that because it is uh, one of the most exposing books that I have ever seen. So the title of the chapter, 15, is Synagogues of Satan. It starts out, C.H. Spurgeon ended one of his great sermons against popery with these words. I count no words too severe if my every speech should be a thunderbolt and every word a lightning flash. It would not be too strong to protect against the accursed system which once degraded the whole earth to kiss the Pope's foot. And it is degrading our nation still and that through a so-called Protestant church, O oh God Almighty, thou suffer this people to go back again to false gods and saints and saintesses and virgins and crucifix relics and cast clouts and rotten rags, for to this also will they come, if thy grace prevent not, O oh my hearers, Jesus is the only Savior of sons of men. Believe in him and live. This is the only gospel at your peril. Reject it. I pray you receive it for Christ's sake. And that is the end of the quotation from Spurgeon. And this is the beginning of Cisco's writing. The religious teachings of Babylon became so renowned in Rome that Catholic Church was called the New Babylon. The false church manifested the wiles of the devil in all its refinement and deceitfulness. With all treachery of unrighteousness, she transferred Baal worship into an already corrupt Christianity. Her ritual tradition of Babylon has absolutely nothing to do with biblical truths. The Pope is the head of the Kirk Antichrist, and the Antichrist exalts himself 
in the church in opposition of Jehovah's divine truths. In the year 1417 AD, Lord Cobham was brought before King Henry V for not submitting himself to the Pope. With conviction, he stood before the king and boldly spoke these words. As touching the Pope and his spirituality, I owe them nothing, suit nor service. For as much as I know him by the scripture to be the great Antichrist, the son of perdition, the open adversary of God, an abomination standing in the holy place. In 1503, the marble statue of Apollo Belvedere holding the bow in his left hand was discovered, and sometime thereafter, it was purchased by Pope Julius II and put in the Belvedere Gallery at the Vatican. Why would Pope Julius II want the Apollyon statue, the king of the bottomless pit, as known as the destroyer, placed in the Belvedere Gallery at the Vatican? Because he has full understanding that Apollo is Lasos, Jesus of today, the son of Zeus, and he knows the Roman Catholic Church and all its prelates are worshiping this ancient abomination as their God and Lord. The term monument is applied to structures which are characteristic or remarkable on account of their being erected as memorials, and also, though loosely, to these buildings which express some form of worship or have peculiar prominence on account of their beauty, proportion, or grandeur. The Pope teaches that the Catholic priest has the power to command Christ, and he must obey. Power of consecrating, the supreme power of the priestly office of consecrating, no act is greater, says St. Thomas, than consecration of the body of Christ. In this essential phrase of sacred ministry, that of the bishop, the archbishop, the cardinal, or the pope does not surpass the power of the priest. Indeed, it is equal to that of Jesus Christ. For in this role, the priest speaks with the voice of authority of God himself. When the priest has pronounced the tremendous words of consecration, he reaches up to heaven, brings Christ down from his throne, and places him on our altar to be offered up again as the victims for the sins of man. It is a great power. It is a greater than those of the monarchs and the emperors. It is greater than those of the saints and angels, greater than that of the seraphim and the cherubim. Indeed, it is greater than the power of the Virgin Mary. For while the blessed Virgin was human agency by which Christ became incarnate a single time, the priest brings down from heaven and renders him present on an altar to be the eternal victim for the sins of man, not once, but a thousand times. 
The priest speaks, and lo, Christ the eternal and omnipotent God bows his head in humble obedience to the priest's command. Of what sublime dignity is the office of the Christian priest who are thus privileged to act as the ambassador and the visigerant of Christ on earth? He continues the essential ministry of Christ, teaches the faithful the authority of Christ. He pardons the penitent sinner with the power of Christ. He offers offers up again the sacrifice of adoration and atonement that Christ offered on Calgary. No wonder the name which spiritual writers are especially fond of applying to the priest is that the altar of Christos. For the priest is and should be another Christ. Our Lord was immolated on Calgary. He offers himself up every morning at the altar by the hands of his priests. The sacrifice of the Mass is essentially the same as that of the cross. What share has the priest in that sacrifice? Where does he find the victim? Ubi est victima. Could he, like Isaac of old, ask when ascending up the steps of the altar? Listen, hoc est corpus meum, says this priest, bending over a small piece of bread. What happens? Agnesite quid agitas, the divine victim, is present. Ave verum corpus, hic est calix, Sanguinis me, continues the priest, we adore the divine victim sacrifice of God. Agnosite quiod agites, the priest says, hoc ost corpus miam. He has to say it for the validity of the consecration. Miam, but it is not he who says these words. His voice indeed we hear, but he is only the instrument of the sovereign priest. Our Lord speaks through his minister. The glory of this minister consists precisely in disappearing, in allowing allowing Jesus to act through his personality. Sacerdos alter Christus. This Christ now offering himself to God by the hands of the priest is the same Christ who is in heaven. Same happiness, same power, same majesty. He is performing the same acts, offering the same adoration and the same thanksgiving and the same prayers. He, the object of the beatitude of the elect, is now in the hands of the priest. Agnosite quiod agitas. But if really the priest causes our Lord to be present on the altar, if he offers him whilst Jesus is now in heaven, have we not to conclude that this is the very bosom of the Father that the priest draws this divine victim? Agnosite quiod agitis. 
we find the obedience to the words of the priest, Corpus Meum. God himself descends on the altar that he comes whenever they call him and as they call him and places himself in their hands, even though they should be his enemies, after he has come, he remains entirely at their disposal. They move him as they please from one place to another. They may, if they wish, shut him up in the tabernacle, expose him on the altar, or carry him outside the church. If they choose, eat his flesh, or give him food of the others. Oh, how great is their power. And God himself is obligated to abide by the judgment of his priests and either not to pardon or to pardon according as they refuse to give absolution, provided in the penitent is capable of it. Innocent three said, it is not too much to say that in view of the sublimity of their offices, the priests are so many gods. These evil popes and prelates have nothing to do with Jehovah or Yeshua, for their churches are like the house of representatives, for the dwelling place of Lucifer. The word Dagda gives the modern daddy meaning father. In Hebrew, Dag, D-A-G-H, means fish, which connotes reptile or serpent. Another word for fish is loose, which gives us Lucifer. What does this tell you about Christians who have used the fish symbol in their church literature? The story of the Roman church is very different than the general population would think. It is a subject that brings with it history that is filled with all evils that escaped from Pandora's box. Within this religious order, the priests were nothing less than the curse of the world as the church exerted its vast power. Through the schemes of deception, war, fire, and sword, persecution, torture, confiscation, death, and through the demonstration of force and intolerance, if you think this statement is too severe, then you need only look at China the festival of Juggernaut, the Crusades, the massacres of St. Bartholomew, of the Mexicans and the Peruvians, the fires of the Inquisition of Mary Cranmer or Calvin, or one only has to tap into history to find a paper trail that leads back to Roman church where the priests were rotten to the core as they forced thousands and thousands to convert to Catholicism. They took well-off nations and turned them into poor nations as they seized their wealth, killed their leaders, turned nations into killing fields that were drenched with blood and tears. For centuries, the popes have given Satan's Mendes universal hand sign of the Ur Chaldean goat, which tells the world that he is the eagle son of the sun god. These popes wear the circle with the cross around their necks for the world to see. And when the white brotherhood sees this circle with the cross being worn by the pope, they too are reminded of their oaths 
as they also worship the god Zeus. Zeus was the god of the Greeks, and he was called God. Zeus was the supreme most high god ruler over all gods, particularly those of the Romans and the Greeks. Both Zeus, Jupiter, and Lesus, Jesus, used the great eagle, Nishrach, as their symbol. Zeus was the same god of the Roman god Jupiter, who was the chief god of the Federation of Latin Cities, to which Rome belonged. The Flamen Dialis, our Roman high priest, was Jupiter's high priest. That is the Roman Catholic's pope today. Zeus was known of the god of kingship, maker of rulers and kings, thus mocking Jehovah's high power and his authority as the appointer of all who rule over men. Well, I hope my uh, reading did justice to that. Obviously, the first part of it is she is setting the stage and calling out the apostasy in the church, and uh, she's finishing off the chapter with a reveal and... Let me know what you think. Uh, I think it's better if you read it a couple times. As you can tell, she uh, really is a brilliant writer. And uh, she has a unique way of getting her points across. And she doesn't hold back. And uh, yeah, let me know what you think. I know this is going to be hard for some people. And in this entire series, is going to be hard for some people. And uh, I want to go on the record as saying this. I'm not coming against Catholic people. And uh, for the rest of the series in particular, I'm not coming against Jewish people. Um, Jews and Catholics, Gentiles alike, we've all been lied to, but not by the Bible. The Bible is our reference of truth. And if we compare everything to the Bible, it's actually very revealing uh, we have to stop trusting man. Don't trust me. Don't trust Cisco. Uh, don't trust the other evidence that I'm going to present to you in this uh, mini-series uh, that will wrap up probably next week, or at least the first part of it will wrap up. This is a topic that I'll be coming back to from time to time. But uh, when we get to the end of this, I really think that you're going to see one of the greatest lies ever. And it's to all of humanity, Jews included, being lied to about their identity. And I believe there is biblical truth to support this. I hope you enjoyed it. Give a thumbs up uh, and stay tuned because right after this will be part two with Cisco Wheeler. God bless. We'll see you on the next one. Oh, and remember, love your God, love your family, love your neighbor as yourself, and make a difference in your community. Right on, right on, right on. Right on radio. Right on radio.